Welcome to the Purple Sky Thinking for Leaders podcast. This podcast is for you if you lead people, teams, or the organization. You might be a leader or a manager yourself, or you might be part of the support team to help those people to be really successful. I'm Anwin Botwa. I'm the leadership success coach and founder of Purple Sky Consulting, and I'm going to be the host for this podcast. My mission is to help as many leaders as possible to really love what they do. I want to help you to feel more confident, more capable, more effective, so that you can build and grow happy, healthy, more successful teams. This podcast is going to be all about helping you to love leading. We are going to be exploring topics and themes about leading in a way that will help you in your day-to-day, but also support your continuous development. The episodes are going to be conversations, and I'm going to be bringing you some expert guests. We're going to explore the topics that they're an expert in, and we're going to look at it in a helpful, insightful, but practical way. You'll be able to access this podcast on audio through your favourite podcast provider, but if you prefer, you'll be able to find us on YouTube to watch along there too. So to make sure you don't miss that or any other episodes, go along and subscribe. Whilst you're there, why not leave a review and tell me who you'd like me to interview or the topics you'd like me to cover in other episodes. In this episode, I'm in conversation with Deborah Corey and Ken Corey. We're talking about their recently released book, Bad Bosses Ruin Lives, The Building Blocks of Being a Great Boss. When I heard about this book, I knew I needed to share it with you. This is a fantastic conversation and we're unpacking what it means to be a bad boss, but also what it means to be a great boss. The conversation's going to be split over two episodes and you'll be able to get both immediately, so don't worry about that. In this first episode, we're going to be focusing on what it means to be a bad boss what they found during their research, and the impact of having a bad boss. The reality is, even great bosses miss the mark from time to time. So this conversation really is about helping you to understand yourself better, looking at ways that you can help yourself to grow and to keep learning. This is about helping you to grow through better self-awareness. Let's get started. Welcome to this next episode of Purple Sky Thinking for Leaders. Um, I've got some brilliant guests with me today. And on our theme of really trying to help leaders to love leading and have great conversations around that, these two fabulous guests have put a wonderful book together to really help you to do that really well. So the book is Bad Bosses Ruin Lives and the Building Blocks for Being a Great Boss. So welcome to my fabulous guests, Deborah Corey and Ken Corey. How are you both? Really good. Very well. Thank you very much. Fantastic. So I'm going to let you do your own little intros, if that's okay, so that I don't miss anything out, but also that you can get your flavor across uh, about yourself and what you want to share with our listeners today. So over to you. So I guess I'll kick it off first. So um, my name is Deborah, And um, it's funny because usually when I do things with another person, I'll say I'm the person with the American accent. But um, <laughs> As you'll, as you'll soon hear, Ken and I both have American accents. So um, I'm the HR person of the of the duo. So I've been doing HR for, gosh, over 20 years, um, lots of different organizations, lots of different roles. And um, I'm in what, um, I'm in my second curve, I think they call that, which um, I call my pay it forward curve. So it's all about doing things like through this book and all the other things I do through my business to pay it forward and, and exactly like you help other people think and act differently and be their best. So that that's me. Lovely. If it'll help, I can I can pull out my Texas accent and I can start answering the questions with my <laughs> Texas okay. accent. Oh, really? <laughs> you know. Love uh, it. No, let's, let's, let's put that off to one side. I don't want to offend anybody from Texas. Uh, right. So 
Um, I come at this from a different angle. I, I come at this from an engineering uh, side. Uh, I've been doing engineering for a long time. At one point, I thought I was going to solve the world's problems through better code. Um, I, I thought there was no problem. You couldn't code your way around and, and whatnot. It turns out, you know, computers are not magic wands. We can't just wave them at problems and, and solve things. Um, and the problems that businesses face are all based on people. Um, and in, in, in walking our dogs uh, together, uh, Deb and I have had a lot of conversations. And in my LinkedIn profile, I say I've spoken to, uh, I, I spend an hour with HR every day. Now, I'm sure that has two connotations, right? But the whole point is that she's she's got me to look at things from a people standpoint. So uh, in my bio, I say uh, I've been an engineering leader for 20 years. Uh, I've been a people-focused leader for eight because it's a completely different style. Um, and so my, my whole focus here is about supporting the people, growing the people, and letting them take care of the customers, letting them take care of the problems. Oh, I love that way of looking at it in terms of kind of the, the different perspectives of the, and, and this I think is something, a, a challenge a lot of leaders face is that technical part of the job. Um, and the actual, the people part of the job is the bit that makes it really successful or not. Um, so yeah, that's really lovely insight to that. Thank you for sharing that. As most people who know me <laughs> know that travel is a huge um, passion and, and interest for me. So um, over this these podcasts, I'm going to be asking guests to share a little bit about their experience on travel or their passions. So would you mind sharing with me your favorite travel destination? We've been a lot of places, Deb and I. We, we, we came over to Europe um, for two years and, and have stayed uh, something like 24 years at this point. We've been to a lot of places, but my favorite place so far has been Iceland. Obviously, with Deb as my, as my traveling companion, it, it, it's no point traveling without. But uh, Iceland just has a, a, a power to it that no other place I've seen quite can get across. It makes the human problem seem really tiny. Deb? Totally. Yeah, it's funny. Um, the first time that Ken actually saw me speak on stage was in Iceland. I spoke at their um, their Iceland HR conference, and it was hilarious because I was going to do this like this fancy thing with lights and everything, and all of a sudden it didn't work. So I'm standing on stage in front of what 500 people, going, "Ken, help me!" So yeah. Um, anyway, I love Iceland too. Um, I can't be committal though, because I just love everywhere. So I always pick the last place that I've been. Amazing. Which for Ken and I. For Ken and I was actually in the UK. There's some amazing places yeah. in the UK that you know we, we forget living in this country, even though we've only lived here, as you said, 20 years. We stayed um, at Dover Castle. They've got this 13th century tower. And we stayed in the castle grounds, which was the coolest thing in the world. And, and what also makes it special is that um, we had to finish our book. So we were being sent the versions of the book to sign off. So we, we signed off the book that you um, that you talked about in a 13th century castle. So it was a cool holiday that and a cool. a cool work thing combined. That is totally cool. Now, I also love Iceland. Part of our travel, our big trip around some of the world included three weeks in Iceland. So I'm now contemplating not asking you any questions about your book and just <laughs> having a conversation about Iceland. <laughs> but maybe we can do that another time. Uh, and I can have a side hustle of um, travel conversations instead of um, leadership conversations. I'm happy to invite you back on um, to talk about that. Um, but no, I will keep us on topic so that our listeners um, are definitely getting what they were, <laughs> were asking for and looking for when we talk about this topic. So um, the book, Bad Bosses Ruin Lives, 
what got you into that topic or that headline? Tell me some more about it. So I'll start out with this one. So this is actually my sixth book, which I cannot believe because um, I'm an HR person. I'm, I'm not a writer. My brother is a writer. That's what he went to school for. But um, I'm just addicted to writing. And my whole idea with writing is I want to write something if I see a problem and I have a solution. And the, the phrase bad bosses ruin lives was actually a phrase I used in my second book. Was it? I think it was my second book. Um, and I've been wanting to write a book about it ever since, but I was waiting for the right time. And, you know, of course, right, waiting for the right person to help me, which is Ken. Um, so I just, I just think it's a, you know, more than ever, I think it's just such an important topic. So that was, that was my reason. I, I had the phrase, I wanted to do it. I wanted to come up with a solution though, that would work. And I think that that's what I love about the book. I think it's something that can help everyone and anyone. Yeah. Uh, from, from my uh, standpoint, um, again, on our walks with our dogs, uh, Deb and I, of course, we talk about our jobs and the, 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 the challenges we were facing and the, and the, the issues that we had. Um, and it, I, I began those conversations with her thinking that engineering is this, you know, we're, we're a special breed unto ourselves and we do things in a special way and da 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 da, da. And it turns out that... Um, Engineers and HR, they have daily stands and they talk about the projects they're working on. And when they're working on a project, they have to do research and they have to prepare themselves and they have to deliver it. Uh, before they deliver it, they have to test it. They have to get feedback. They have to, and all these things, it started to come back that, that our, our jobs are really kind of similar. And that made me start thinking about how businesses are larger, are, are, are large algorithms, really. So I took my engineering background and applied it uh, to teams as a whole, to the people on my teams, um, and uh, it was it was it was amazing to me to see the 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 different dimension that that gave me on my on my people in my uh, uh, in my hierarchy. Right, of course, when you're going through this process, you're going to see a lot of managerial missteps, a lot of things where. You know, you you get a, a strange uh, command from above. You see, you see uh, decisions being made that you don't understand, and and you know we've we've both been in industry for t over twenty years, so we've uh, we, we've seen a lot of this, and so you you put it all together and you start seeing solutions pop up uh, because of leadership roles. We're able to put these solutions into place and see and see how they work, see how how uh, things could have been done differently to. Uh, mitigate a problem to 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 solve a problem all the way around. So um, for me, it's it's really about um, how to take this and, and make a difference in other people's uh, management journeys. Really, uh, of of let give them that extra perspective of that extra dimension and help them solve these problems. I love that part because the reality is we can find solutions. It is possible to find solutions. It's not easy leading people. It's not easy to lead teams or organizations, but we can do it well. It can be done well, and we should be looking to do that if we can. <laughs> I love the book, by the way. Um, as somebody who's led teams myself and been in HR for 20 years, it's such a practical look at things. Um, really good in terms of self-awareness and helping you to understand yourself better as a leader and where you are. And it's it's helping you to look at things from a, really practical perspective. There's lots of ideas in there to get you thinking because that part about self-awareness is really important, especially when it comes to impact. 
intent is one thing, but impact really is something else. And getting to grips with that and trying to help yourself understand that better is really valuable. I also love that it's full of solutions. It's not about pointing a finger or saying, look, here's the problem, you're the problem. It's really about looking at things in a way to help you move forward and to help you to feel better about what you're doing and to really enjoy some of the aspects that are absolutely important, really critical as a leader, um, really solution focused, which I think is what people need sometimes. They just need somewhere they can go and get some extra help or some extra insight and some inspiration about how they can handle something. It might be that you've got a new challenge (laughs) and it might be that your previous way of handling things just isn't going to cut it now. So this will give you options that will give you ideas to have a look at. So congratulations. I think you've absolutely nailed it in terms of what people need when they're thinking about their own leadership development and approach to leadership development. So thank you. So the book is kind of in two sections. Um, The first section really is about that awareness piece and understanding what it might look and feel like to have and be a bad boss. So tell me a little bit about the research, the work that you did to get to these 10 traits of bad bosses. Well, we, we started by talking to um, maybe 25 uh, or so thought leaders uh, uh, and experts and, and, and got their opinions about uh, uh, how, how problems are uh, uh, manifesting in the outside world. Um, we've got stories uh, from, our, from our networks on LinkedIn. Obviously, each of us have had uh, experiences of our own and stories of our own and bad boss experiences where we were bad bosses of our own. Uh, far more than I really was comfortable with when we first started writing the book, I have to say. It's, it's a very humbling experience writing a book like this and going, oh, crumbs, I did that too. Oh. Anyway, um, between the two of us, we've had 40 years of experience, and that, that, that proved a goldmine. Um, and between that and our networks, it was, there was an awful lot of material to work with there. Yeah, and the, it, it sort of evolved. I mean, picture my office, Ken, where we had the post-its of all the different names, and the names kept changing. Um, you know, from day to day, from week to week. But one of the ways that we validated it also is we did surveys. So we did one survey where we went out to people and said, these are the 10 types of bad bosses we've seen. Have you had them? And then similarly, we went out to people and we said, have you been one? And it was really just sort of a litmus test because we thought, you know, if nobody's been this kind of bad boss, then maybe we're the only ones who think that this is a bad boss. But it was, it was, Interesting and scary at the same time in that for each of the 10 types of bad bosses, um, at least 50% of people said that they've had this type. So to us, it sounded like it made sense. And then the other litmus test was if we didn't have enough to write a, cha- a section on it, then it wasn't a big enough problem because we didn't want to, you know, we all only have so much attention span to read a book. And we're like, we don't want to waste people's brain cells if it's not a problem. So I think that was sort of, you know, both Ken and I are very analytical. So um, that was sort of our analytical side of coming up with the 10, because we know that 10 is a big number, but they were all really, really important ones. Um, We also tried not to do really nasty ones because we don't want the book to be like, well, you're a bad boss and then you're like lecturing people. It's like, as Ken said earlier, every single one of the 10s, I had a story for. And, And we were very honest because we want people to say that's okay, but we'll talk more about that later. But yeah, that was important to us as well. Yeah, I think that really shines through, really. This is not a lecture. 
this is an opportunity. <laughs> and I think that looking at any growth, any self-development as a leader through that lens of it being an opportunity, an opportunity to do things differently, to learn, to grow, is much healthier, much healthier for you, much healthier for everyone around you. It isn't about it being a critique. It's about actually how can you continue to develop? How can you continue to grow? So in all the research that you did, all the investigating, what particularly stood out or surprised you from that work? I think for me, um, it was, first of all, 99.6% of people said they've had a bad boss. So I was hoping it wasn't that high. You know, both Ken and I, and, and you said it as well, you've had a bad boss. I was hoping it was going to be more like, you know, 50, 60. But the fact, like, and and the people who um, who said they didn't have them, they were, um, I think they all put their email as somebody who wanted to get a copy of the results. And I want to go back to these people and find out why did you not have one? Um, so that was surprising. The other thing that was surprising was, um, this is why it's good to do things with an engineer. Ken's, Ken's convinced me to add a question on the survey about how long have you been in your job? Because we wanted to see if there was a difference. Because we were hoping that, you know, maybe people who are new to the job market haven't had a bad boss because people are getting better at leading. And it was just, you know, the, in the old days, people had bad bosses. There was no difference whatsoever. Didn't matter if you've been in the job for 20 years or one year, everybody has had a bad boss. But then the other part, um, and then I'll, I'll be quiet and let Ken answer it, is um, that 80% of people admitted to being a bad boss, which I loved. I love that everybody's honest and truthful because as you just said, you need to start with that. You know, you need to accept it and then move on. Yeah, the, the devil's in the details here, I think, uh, because yes, 80% of people said, yep, okay, guilty, I, I've been a bad boss. Uh, but what I found really interesting is that the top three bad bosses that people said that they had had, and the top three bad bosses that people admitted to being were completely different. So uh, people admitted to being things like a micromanager. And it, it strikes me that people admit to that because in a way that's kind of perversely good. You know, my, my biggest weakness is that I, I just care too much, you know? So uh, bosses are seeing themselves, yes, they're admitting they're doing things wrong, but either they're taking actual, a kind of strange pride in it, or uh, they're just not understanding the problems that their people have. And one of the things I hope that comes out of this book in, in the longer term is that people actually uh, start realizing that their view on the world, what the problems that they think they have are not the problems that their people think they have. So it really requires a conversation to actually hear what your people are seeing in addition to what you're, what you are thinking about yourself. Did that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I think there's something really interesting there about how different people will need different things from you as a leader at different points. I had a really bad boss for me, but they weren't a bad boss for somebody else. Yeah we were in different places we needed different things and that is just the reality of it it was a poor experience for me and that had a lot to do with me um but actually the reality is sometimes you need to look around your team you need to understand what's going on with them um and adjust accordingly and make changes and and look at things from a slightly different perspective when you need to um, and that's not always easy, but there are ways that you can do that. So really understanding your team is really important and making adjustments so you can really bring the best out of them. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Probably the first time I was a bad boss was when I managed someone who was different than me, because my first couple of people were very similar to me. So to your point, you know, I had no problem being a great boss with them. And it wasn't probably until I moved from the US to the UK, where all of a sudden, culturally, people were different from me, but also I had a bigger team. So, you know, all those different personality styles, tests, whatever, they were all blues, and I might have been red, whatever. Um, And that's when I really started having different levels of, uh, of, of gray, of different levels of being good, bad, great, all in the same day. So yeah, we could do a whole, a whole conversation about that. Yeah. So that leads us really nicely onto this question. What causes a bad boss? Um, well, uh, our book comes up with uh, some traps that can lead anybody to fall into being a bad boss. It's important to, to say that even people who are labeled as a good boss have moments where they're doing it wrong. And people who are bad bosses have moments when they're doing it right. Uh, there's, there is no black and white. We're almost never on one extreme or the other. There are cases, but, but they're rare, really, right? Um, so, so the things that cause bad bosses, generally speaking, are the things that, are, that we're all dealing with, time uh, issues. We don't have time to take care of this in the right way. Um, we've made assumptions about uh, uh, what's going on out there. Uh, we've made assumptions about what our people need. Um, we don't understand uh, the reasons why people need something, or we don't understand how things are working, uh, or frankly, we just don't have the skills to to manage, or, or we don't have the skills to communicate. Um, most people fall into being a manager. They have it sort of slapped on them and say, hey, you know, you, you were great at, at building widgets, so now, boom, you're a manager. It's got nothing to do with that before, but hey, congratulations. And it's just the weirdest thing that people have to completely be a different person when you become a manager. I think it's really important what you said about that bit about um, you can be a great boss, but some bad things. So one of the bad boss types is firefighter and probably the best boss I ever had in my entire life. When I wrote a story, it was about him as a firefighter. And if I went to him, he'd be like, yeah, that was me. But um, we talk about the whole thing about you get um, trust credit. It's not my idea. It was in another amazing book about trust. And if you've got a great boss and all of a sudden they flip and they do one thing wrong as a bad boss, it doesn't mean you don't still think they're great. It just means they have an area that they need to to develop. So, yeah, I'm glad you raised that, Ken. Yeah, I think... That's such a really interesting perspective, a really interesting way of looking at things in terms of the importance of the quality of the relationships that you have with your team and the individuals within that team. It will let you get away with little moments as long as they are moments. Sometimes it might be you're just in too much of a rush and you really need them just to get that thing done (laughs) Um, and not have to get into a coaching conversation about the whole thing. Um, But that's, that's difficult. But it's so much more difficult if you haven't got a good quality relationship with your team and they don't really look at it from a perspective of you. They know you're trying to be a great boss most of the time. (laughs) And therefore, those little moments are where you do have that opportunity to kind of just, you know, get by that quickly. But that is only really when they know you are trying to be a great boss. You might be able to have those little moments, those little blips um, and get away with it but it's knowing that that's not happening all the time. So what is it that you saw from the research or even maybe from your own experiences of the impacts of having a bad boss? Well, Ken mentioned for each of the bad boss types, um, one of the things we did is we explained the trap. So what causes it? But then on the flip side, we did talk about impacts. Mm -hmm. I think we called them consequences. Yeah. Yeah. 
consequences. Because if I think about myself, um, one of the main reasons that I probably did things that weren't exactly right is that I didn't understand the impact I was having on my people. So actually, it's amazing the impacts that you don't even realize that you're making on people. And it could be either from a business perspective. So for each of the bad bosses we list, these are the specific impacts, like your people are less efficient. So, you know, like if you're a micromanager and your person has to come to you every five seconds, of course, you're going to be less efficient, but also impacts like on how you feel. So if you're, you know, if, if, you know, you have somebody who's unappreciator, which is the most common type of bad boss, you're going to feel like your boss doesn't see you. They don't value you. So I think it's really important to take a step back and understand the impact because when I do, you know, sessions with managers and coaching with sessions, I'm sure you've seen this yourself. When you share that, light bulbs go off in their head and they're like, oh my gosh, I did not realize I was impacting someone's well-being, their effectiveness, you know, even how well we come up with new ideas. So there's tons of impacts. And once we understand that, hopefully it'll get us to that next step of then saying, okay, great, what am I going to do about it now? Um, I just want to add, you know, the statistic that 57.6% of people, now I'm doing that from memory. I don't have it written down. I'm, so I'm, it's probably wrong, right? Let's be honest. But 57.6% well, we of people, <laughs> there we go. There yeah. we go. Uh, but there's, a, there's, a, there's an extraordinarily high number of people who are planning on leaving work because of their current boss. Um, now it's tough times in the market. It's hard to find jobs and, and whatnot. So uh, a lot of people are staying for the security of, of keeping a paycheck. But that's the absolute last person that you want in your organization, someone who is planning to leave, somebody who, who's already uh, uh, disengaged, uh, but they're here taking up space, they're here taking up salary, they're here clicking time until they get to the next job. That's the biggest impact, in my opinion, that um, you get the, the, uh, a bad boss in, they can completely turn off all of their people, and those people will continue to suck up resources until they can find something better. Yeah, we share lots of data because I don't know about you. I think data is powerful. And one of the ones I use every time I do a management session is that there's a 70% variance in employee engagement because of a boss. So in HR, we can come up with the best programs in the world. But at the end of the day, you know, like Ken, you as a manager, when you are leading your team, you have more of an impact than little old me in HR. And then someone just shared a stat. It was something similar to what you said, somewhere around 56%, Ken, where your boss has more of an... as as a bigger impact on your well-being than your partner, your psychiatrist, and everyone, even your dog. Um, well, so, yeah. no, 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 not dog. I, I disagree with that one. <laughs> not dog. Okay, sorry, sorry. sorry. I think we can, we can, I can allow disagreement on that one. I think that's totally cool. Um, <laughs> but you get that, don't you? Because I'm just thinking about it in terms of kind of my own experiences with bad bosses. And like, I definitely left jobs because of the scenario or it was made easier because of that situation. And I know there's been times where I've been so impacted, either with no, just no knowledge from them probably about the impact on my work, but certainly on my well-being. And where we look at the impact and cost of poor well-being in a workplace, that alignment with the engagement stats, I think are so it's so powerful and impactful that, you know, I'm, you know, I know leadership development is really important to me and is a key, key area that I work in and focus on. But if we could just help organizations to really develop their leaders to be the very, very best they could be, they wouldn't have to spend as much money on wellbeing programs or other types of initiatives mm -hmm. <laughs> because people would enjoy being in work and um, having 
um, and having an impact and making progress because they have a leader that actually is one of the great leaders and helps them to be in a, a great place and do their job really well. So, yeah. So I think it's just such an interesting way of looking at things. Yeah. And it's interesting. Ken mentioned at the beginning that we asked people for stories. Mm. And as we read these stories, it was just so disheartening. Is that a yeah, word? I'm we'll not sure. That. Um, and that we came up, we came up with the term bad boss stress mm. disorder because it's not just impacting you today, but it was, it was amazing how people would say, you know, it took me six months to get over this. It took me a year. It took me years. I'm still getting over this. And again, as someone who has done things wrong, if I knew I was having that kind of impact on someone's life, I would just, you know, feel horrible about it. You know, and again, I'm sure I've had some of these impacts on my people's lives, but I think people need that awareness. Absolutely. They absolutely do. Because reality is, and you touch on this at the beginning of the book, it's like people aren't doing this deliberately. There's very few people that are going into leadership roles or management roles in any way, and they're waking up that morning and going, how do I ruin people's lives today? You know, nobody's approaching it from that perspective. But to your point before, Ken, how many people are going into leadership roles because that's the next level up? That's how you get progression in your career rather than because I'm ready to lead. I had that experience myself. I went into a role. It so happened to have people leadership with (laughs) that hadn't been why I'd applied for the job. So I think it's really interesting in terms of how we set people up for success. I hope that you enjoyed that first part of the conversation. A huge thank you to Deborah and Ken for sharing so much about what they found out about being a bad boss. Have you worked for a bad boss? Have you seen aspects of that in yourself? Get involved in the conversation in the comments or over on LinkedIn. In the next part of the conversation, in episode four, we're going to be exploring what it's like to be a great boss, how that feels, how it looks, and how to keep developing. I'm also going to be asking Deborah and Ken what it was like for them to work together on this project. That second part of the conversation is available already, and you'll find the link in the show notes. And finally, Thank you for joining this episode of the Purple Sky Thinking for Leaders podcast. You'll find all the resources and the links that we mentioned down in the show notes. If you love this episode, why not share it with somebody else in a leadership role who you think would find this useful? If you haven't already, I'd love for you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if we've earned it, why not leave us a five-star review? I'm Anwen, your host, and I look forward to welcoming you back to the Purple Sky Thinking for Leaders podcast very soon. Bye for now.